you have your Bibles today, you can open up with me to the book of Luke, chapter 12, if you want to follow along with us. God is good, amen? The Lord is very good to us. He has given us great blessings. He has given us great privilege. He loves us infinitely. He loves us completely in ways that we do not know and cannot comprehend. There are things the Lord does for us in ways that God loves us that that we cannot thank Him for until we get to heaven because we just don't know what they are. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, He's so good to us that we don't even understand His goodness. We can't comprehend His goodness to us. Isn't that a fascinating thing to consider? That God is so good that we can't even know enough about His goodness to thank Him for all of it. That's amazing. And when we look at this story today, we see something of God's incomprehensible goodness to us. We really receive a snapshot of Jesus here that is revealing. It shows us something of his humanity. You know, Jesus is God. And when he was walking the earth, he was fully God. And he was also fully human. And, and oftentimes we lose sight of his humanity. But in this verse, in these verses we look at today, we see the fullness of his humanity. And because of that, we can identify with him. We can identify with him in, in incredible ways here as we look at this passage this morning. Luke chapter 12 and verse 49. I won't reread the whole passage to you, but Jesus starts out, <coughs> excuse me, and says, I have come to set the world on fire, and I wish it was already burning. Now that is the New Living Translation. I like that translation. I have come to set the world on fire, and it's been burning ever since he came. I have come to set the world on fire. What did he mean by that? Well, there are a couple opportunities here, a couple of different ways you can interpret this metaphor Jesus is using. On the one hand, uh, you can see it, and, and, and we understand Jesus meant fire of judgment. On the other hand, he meant a fire of refinement. You see, Jesus is a fire. The Holy Spirit is a fire. And it means judgment for those who refuse to place faith in him for their salvation from sin. But for those who have placed faith in Jesus Christ for their salvation from sin and new life, it means a refiner's fire. Isn't that a wonderful promise? That God has come to refine us. It's not your responsibility. It's not something that you have to do for yourself. God is at work on you and on, at work on me to refine me and make me right to purify me. So Jesus says, I have come to set the world on fire. For some, it's going to mean judgment. And for others, it's going to mean refinement. But then he goes on in this next verse. And he says here, I've come to set the world on fire. And I wish it were already burning. I have a terrible baptism of suffering ahead of me. And I am under a heavy burden until... It is accomplished. You see, Jesus is both fully God and fully human. And he knew the cross was ahead. And it was an immersion, a baptism. Baptism means to immerse. He knew that he was going to be immersed into suffering. And it was going to be a physical kind of suffering, yes. But it was also going to be a mental and emotional kind of suffering, which he was already beginning to experience. And it was going to be a spiritual kind of suffering as he and the Father, the relationship that had been there for eternity. And I don't even begin to understand this, but it was going to be interrupted 
as he hung there on the cross and said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He knew this was coming. And in his humanity, he dreaded it. Just the same as you and I would. You see, he did not look forward to the suffering of the cross any more than any other human being ever would. And he knew it was to be his. And he says, I wish that it was already here and already done, already accomplished. And the fire was already poured out on the earth. That salvation through my cross and my sacrifice was already available to you. And the refining fire could have its work upon you in the Holy Spirit. And that the fire of judgment would fall on those who would not believe. I wish that it was already here because I have it ahead of me. And emotionally, it's a burden. It's hard. It's difficult. You know, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus experienced life as a man. He even experienced temptation. Yet, unlike us, Jesus never committed sin as a result of that temptation. Jesus understands you. He understands you experientially. And when he looked forward to the cross, he dreaded the suffering of it. But because of his great love for us, he looks forward to it also, what it might do for us and what it would absolutely do for us. You see, on the one hand, he wanted to get it over with. But on the other hand, he wanted to accomplish it for what it was to do for us. You see, we understand that in this passage as well. He is looking forward to what is to be accomplished and the results therein. And his great love was to take him there and to walk through that suffering, to drink that cup, as he said in the Garden of Gethsemane, for us. And as a result of this, we are saved. And that salvation, that work of the cross, that fire poured out on earth would divide humanity from that day forward. You know, some folks believe that Jesus is a man of peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Jesus came to give us peace. It's all about peace. And you know, Jesus is about all of that. You accept Jesus Christ as your Savior from sin and victory over sin and your life. He brings you a sense of peace, doesn't he? A sense of well-being in your life. Absolutely. And someday Jesus is coming back. Don't everybody say amen at once on that, right? Jesus, someday Jesus is coming back. And he is. And when he comes back someday, he is going to bring all things, as far as time is concerned, to an end. And he's going to bring a judgment. And he's going to bring the, the fullness of our reconciliation in the sense that fullness of our redemption as we're glorified and our salvation will be complete in that sense. And there will be peace forever. Isn't that a wonderful thing? But this is the first advent, the first coming of the Messiah. He did not come to bring peace but division. And he came to bring peace in our hearts, yes. But he came to bring division among human beings. A lot of folks miss that. A lot of folks don't understand this, this part of Jesus' ministry. But he came to bring a great divide. Jesus is, yes, the Prince of Peace. But he is the great divide in that he disrupted the status quo. See, the status quo up to this time was sin, rebellion against God, and defeat. And because of Jesus, we have salvation. We have a new nature. 
new life in him and victory over sin because of his spirit at work within us. Jesus came to disrupt the status quo. He turned everything upside down and all who would place faith in Jesus Christ would be free from that tyranny of sin, that darkness, that hopelessness, that hell on earth and the hell to come. They would have relationship with God, become a part of the family of God. And they would be unlike all others who refused to place faith in Jesus Christ. There was to be this great divide. Those who are part of the family of God through Jesus Christ, he said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So all who come to the Father through him are on one side and everyone else is on the other side. And he said, this great divide will even show itself evident in our homes. It will be everywhere. Three against two, two against three, father against son, mother against daughter, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, father-in-law against father-in-law. There would be this great divide, great divide. So we have this great divide as a result of this. Jesus said, I have come not to bring peace. I have come to divide. I've come to make and to bring this great divide here on earth. Now, some of you say, I've never heard this before. I've never understood this before. We need to understand that does not mean those on the other side are our enemy. They are not. They are not our enemy, those who have yet to accept Christ as Savior and Lord of their life. We love them. We pray for them. We hope they are to be saved and to be a part of the family of faith, right? We do. See, our enemy is the enemy of our soul. Who is that? That is Satan and all of his minions, all of the unclean spirits that are work against us. That's our enemy. They are the ones who are our enemy, not the other part of humanity who have yet to place faith in Christ. But what we have to understand is that there are two camps among us as human beings. There are those who have placed faith in Jesus Christ and those who have not placed faith in Jesus Christ. Christianity is an exclusive religion. You know, if we just said, hey, Jesus is just one way to God, we'd be friends with Oprah, number one. And number two, no one would have a problem with us, right? No one would have a problem with that. Is that Jesus is just one way among many ways to get to God. Everybody says, that's good. Let's just all put our arms around another. You see those bumper stickers that say coexist. I saw somebody put something up on Facebook, a bumper sticker like that, had those symbols and everything. It said contradict because they contradict each other. Do you know that? I mean, these, these other religions, they all find their relationship with God through their actions, through what they do, and their own personal pursuit of holiness. But in Christianity, we say that all of that is nothing. All of that is worthless. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and his shed blood is the sacrifice by which we are forgiven and we have a relationship with God. And he himself said, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. And so we say there's only one way and it's by faith in the sacrifice, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is the one way to God. That's the one way to relationship with him. It's the one way to salvation. It's the one way to eternal life. See, that's what we say. That's what we preach. That's the word of God. That's what Jesus said about himself. And because of that, the world will be against us. Now, again, we're not against them, are we? We love them. We're loving on those people. We're going to love those people. We're going to serve those people. That's what Jesus told us to do. But let us not be surprised at the opposition that they bring to us. 
I think sometimes folks are surprised at this. They're surprised that we're opposed. They say, well, if we just love them, they're going to like us. doesn't happen that way, guys. Say, if we just love them enough, if we're just compassionate enough, if we're just benevolent enough, if we just give enough, if we just serve enough, if we just do enough, they're going to like us. But they're not going to like us. And the reason they're not going to like us is because there's a different spirit within us than there is within them. And the spirit in them is completely opposed to the spirit within us. The spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. They have a different spirit and a different law they're living by. And they're going to oppose us. They're going to even hate us. They're going to persecute us. One of the great problems in American Christianity today is the desire to follow Christ and be liked by those who do not follow Christ. That's one of the greatest problems in American Christianity today. We want everybody to like us. Just want to be liked. Everybody wants to be liked, right? I mean, it's better to be liked than not be liked, isn't it? By whoever you're talking about, right? We, we, we enjoy being liked. We enjoy that. We, we would appreciate that if people would like us. But listen, people are not going to like you because of Jesus in you. Carnal man does not like Jesus. Lost man who rejects Christ is not going to like him, nor are they going to like him in you. It's just a fact of life. But we should be strong and courageous in the midst of the opposition. You look at this passage of Scripture, and what you see here as we go on and we read, <coughs> Jesus says, I have come to set the world on fire, and I wish it were already burning. I have a terrible baptism of suffering ahead of me, and I am under a heavy burden until it is accomplished. Do you think I have come to bring peace on earth? No. I have come to divide people against each other. Who did the dividing here? Who brought the division here? Jesus. Should we be ashamed of that division? Absolutely not. Should we be ashamed that we're different? Should we be ashamed that people don't like us? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Should I cower down and be afraid because people don't like me? Absolutely not. God says to you and God says to me, be strong. Be courageous. Have faith. That's what he says. In this life, you're going to have trouble. But he says, I've overcome the world. I've overcome the world. See, we don't, we're, we're not ashamed of this division. We're not fearful of this division. We embrace this division. We take it as a badge of courage and honor that when we walk in the room, there's a dividing spirit there because the Spirit of God is walking in the room with us, dividing righteousness from unrighteousness. You see? We're to be strong and courageous in the midst of the division that Jesus himself has brought. He rocks the status quo. I want to read you a little story here. Sometimes I have to read these things. There's just too many details. I don't want to miss any. So I'm going to read this to you today. Fifty-six men signed the Declaration of Independence. Do you know that? Everybody remembers John Hancock, right? So he made sure his was bigger than everybody else. There's a story behind that. I don't think he really intended for it to be that way, but it just happened. 
56 men signed the Declaration of Independence. Their conviction resulted in untold sufferings for themselves and their families. Of the 56 men, five were captured by the British and tortured before they died. Twelve had their homes ransacked and burned. Two lost their sons in the Revolutionary War. Another had two sons captured. Nine of the 56 fought and died from wounds or hardships of the war. Carter Braxton of Virginia, a wealthy planter and trader, saw his ships sunk by the British Navy. He sold his home and properties to pay his debts and died in poverty. At the Battle of Yorktown, the British General Cornwallis had taken over Thomas Nelson's home for his headquarters. Nelson quietly ordered General Washington, George Washington that is, to open fire on his own home. The home was destroyed and Nelson died bankrupt. There was no state farm back then, by the way. That was the end of his home. No rebuilding it. John Hart was driven from his wife's bedside as she was dying. Their 13 children fled for their lives. His fields and, fields and mill were destroyed. For over a year, he lived in, forest, in the forest in caves, returning home only to find his wife dead and his children vanished. A few weeks later, he himself died from exhaustion. It always costs something to take a side, doesn't it? It costs something. Jesus told us to consider the cost of following him. You know, when Jesus calls you to follow him, he bids you, as Bonhoeffer says, to come and die. Die to yourself, die to, who all, you, to all that you are, and live in him. Be resurrected to a new life. It's a great exchange. You get the better end of it, trust me. But in that exchange, in the giving of our life to Christ, we need to understand that we've chosen a side. And much more so than the British pursuing us, we have an enemy that pursues us relentlessly with the intent to devour us, Peter told us, to destroy our very lives. It's part of what it means to be a Christian. And if we fall victim to the idea that we need to be liked by everybody and that Jesus came to bring peace on earth, and if we don't have peace with everybody, something's wrong with us, we are going to live miserable existence here on the earth. As we walk in the lie rather than the truth, trying to make everybody like us, whatever the cost. Paul said, I become all things to all people so that I might see some saved. What he meant was that he was culturally going to do everything morally right and good to find a way to reach these people. He was going to become one of them so he could speak their language and see them saved. He did not mean that he was going to acquiesce, that he was going to sacrifice his morality or his faith in Jesus Christ in some way so that Christ would be more palatable to these folks. That's not what he meant. Because he understood this fact. Jesus came to bring division and there are going to be those who oppose the gospel of Jesus Christ because they oppose him. And he wore that with a bag for as a badge of courage. You know, the early church in Acts 5.41, scriptures tell us, after being beaten for preaching Jesus Christ, the disciples left the presence of the Sanhedrin, the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. They understood this. They understood there were going to be some that were never going to accept Jesus Christ. We're always going to be against him. The real question is this morning, if you're not suffering some sort of division in your life on account of Jesus, is there enough Jesus in your life? See, if you're not suffering some kind of division in your life on account of Jesus, is there enough Jesus in your life? You know, we're starting to encounter all kinds of strange division 
My granddad would never have imagined some of the division that we find in our culture today. It's a really strange thing, isn't it? I mean, there was a, a day and time that people had certain ideas about morality that have been just sacrificed and thrown to the wayside nowadays, right? And because we stand for morality according to what Scripture says and according to what God says is true and right and good, people oppose us. They call us bigots. They call us worse than that. I mean, really, who would have thought that we would be defending marriage, that we would be defending the unborn 60, 70 years ago, that that would be a controversial stance, and that those who would stand for what Scripture says about those things would be called bigots and unfit to live by some folks. Who would have thought that? But you know, it's just the beginning. We think a few social issues that we're opposed for, a few social issues that, that we're really suffering for Jesus. But let me tell you something. You're just going to suffer for your relationship with Jesus, period, and it's coming. And some of us have already suffered that. There are folks out there right now that would oppose us just because we believe in Jesus. That would ridicule us, hate us. And come against us. Because we love the Lord. It's just the nature of the way things are folks. It's the nature of what Jesus came to bring. Division on the earth. Because of who he is. You choose a side. You know one of the things that God has really begun to make more and more clear to me over the last couple of years. Is, is what spiritual warfare is really all about. And I don't even dare say that I understand even a little bit of spiritual warfare and all the ramifications of it. But what I do know is that we do have an enemy, and that enemy is not another human being. We may be divided as human beings because of Christ, but they're not my enemy. We have an enemy. That enemy is Satan. That enemy is the powers, principalities, devils, thrones, spiritual forces of darkness that work against us according to what Paul himself said in Ephesians 6. And if you have a problem with spiritual warfare or your preacher talking about the devil, you need to go to Ephesians 6. Read it and get back to me, okay? And we need to pray against the enemy. There, there are people praying against us. Do you know there are people in the occult that are assigned to pray against preachers? That's what they do. They pray against preachers on a regular basis. I have no doubts whatsoever that I have someone assigned against me and my family praying against me. But I've got Maria, and I've got a lot of other of you guys that pray for me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Amen? And so, yeah, they may pray against me, but I've got Christ. I'm saved. I'm bought with the blood of the Lamb. Christ has overcome the world. I can pray and put my faith in him, and I have a whole lot of other people praying for me. And listen, you need to pray for me because they're praying against me, and they're praying against you too. As they pray against the work of this church. I recently read a story about a man that was in the occult for over 20 years. And one of the things that he did was to go and infiltrate churches just to bring division. And to divide them and destroy them. They prayed against those churches. They worked against those churches from the inside. It happens. We do have an enemy. That enemy was not that man who's now saved by the way. Alright. The enemy was not that man. The enemy was the spirit at work within that man. See there is a real devil. And there are real spiritual powers of principalities at work against us. They are our enemy. We pray against them in Jesus' name. We take authority over them in Jesus' name. Christ has given us authority over them. That's why you hear me pray. That's why you hear in the middle of prayers, oftentimes I say, in the name of Jesus I bind. Any demon power, principality, devil or throne that has come against me, has attached themselves to me, Kim, Zachary, Ava, or any of you. I say that often. Just, I bet I say every day I, say, I, I bind those demons in Jesus' name off of you. 
and command them to leave, any that have attached themselves to you. And you know what? I pray something else that some of you might find strange. But you need to pray these kinds of things too. You know these people, they do spells. We had one right in here that came in this room and did that one Sunday. You remember that? Some of you remember that. These things are a reality. So you know what I pray? I say in Jesus' name, and this I pray the Lord do, because I think it's right to pray. I say, Jesus, I come to you, Jehovah, in Jesus' name. I pray in Jesus' name that you bind, break, and render powerless any hexes, vexes, spells, binding spells, incantations, enchantments, soulish prayers, word curses, occultic practices, or occultic sacrifices made with my name on it, Kim's name on it, Zachary's name on it, Ava's name on it, or this church's name on it. In Jesus' name, I ask this, Lord Jehovah. Now, some of you say, strange. You never heard this before, right? It's not strange, guys. It is not strange. You see, what I want you to understand here today is that there's a reality to our opposition. A scriptural, true, theologically conservative, doctrinally pure opposition. Scripture teaches it against us. An enemy working against us, but it is not a human being. We pray against those spiritual powers and forces of darkness just according to Ephesians 6. We pray the armor of God be upon us. We pray against their works. We pray all the time in Jesus' name. We pray, Lord, you defeat the works of the enemy in this place. Jesus has already won the war. We have a few battles to fight here on the earth, right? And so we pray over those battles. Next week, as you look at War Room, you're going to see that in a little more detail for those that are going to see the movie with us. We pray against those things, but human beings are not our enemy. You know, one other thing that I pray, I say, Lord Jesus, those who are praying these prayers against me and those who are working these things against me, I pray they get saved. I say, Jesus, would you convict them of their wickedness? Would you convict them of their sin? Would you convict them of their need of you and the truth of you and the reality of you? I pray in Jesus' name they'll repent of their sin and get saved. They're not my enemy, and I don't hate them. And I pray God would help me love them. And I pray that they would receive the love of Christ and accept him. Jesus came to bring division. It's a division according to what one believes and trusts concerning the truth of Jesus Christ. And that division will be played out in persecution and opposition in all kinds of different ways until Jesus comes as the Prince of Peace to bring it all to conclusion, this thing called time and history. Yes, there is division. But let us not think those who are divided from us are our enemy. We're just divided. And let us not think that division is something to be run from, ashamed of, fearful of. But let us embrace it as a badge of honor as people see more of Jesus in us to oppose. And if you're one of the folks this morning who say, I don't have enough opposition in my life, I don't have enough division in my life, this morning you can pray. You can confess sin, you can repent, you can ask Jesus to make himself more real in and through you. And say, Lord, may people see you, not me. Some of you this morning, you've learned something about how to pray against the enemy. Some of you this morning, you're not even sure you're on the right side in this great spiritual cosmic war for the souls of men, women, and children.
If you're not certain that you know Jesus Christ as your Savior from sin and Lord of your life, if you're not sure you're on the right side of this great divide of humanity, then today accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord of your life. Today do it. Today, in just a moment, we have a time of invitation. Walk to the front. Walk to the front. Help. Let us help you know how you might have a relationship with God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, that you may be one of His, that you may be born again, that you may have a new nature, a new life, a new hope, that you may be forgiven for all of your sins, that you may have victory over the power of sin, that you may be a new creation, as Scripture says, in Jesus. You want a new life? Your new life happens when you accept Jesus Christ. Would you do that this morning? Would you do that today? If you don't know Jesus, would you do that? Let's bow together in prayer.